So we are starting a new series, and we're going to be looking at the person of Moses. Uh, But before we get too far into this new series, uh, I wanted to uh, thank Michael for his efforts last series in helping us with worship. I told him that he probably thought he had a week off when all he has to do is lead the music today and doesn't have to preach and do that all at one time. So, uh, amen. I would tell you that I'm going to do that one week where I sing and preach at the same time. And why are y'all laughing? Uh, yes, y'all know I cannot sing, so that will never happen. But, uh, but we're starting a new series on, on, on Moses. And a couple of times every year, I love to take a series and really delve deep into the Bible. Uh, so we typically, a couple of times a year, we'll either look at a book of the Bible or we will look at a theme in Scripture. Uh, in this particular one, we're going to look at the person uh, of Moses and, and think about what can we learn from Moses that can help us in our own relationship with God. Uh, and so teaching series are really, uh, I, I love to be able to spend time uh, being able to do those. And so we're going to, uh, the reason I showed that video there is because one of the things for us is we have to stop and recognize um, sometimes we can kind of disconnect from the Old Testament uh, and forget that these were real people. Uh, these were, I mean, just like us that were struggling and had doubts and faith and ups and downs. Uh, and so what I want us to do is to look at the, the person of Moses and just pull out three or four things that we're able to, to really stop and, and learn. Uh, we, it, it's impossible in four weeks to comprehensively cover Moses. Uh, so that's not what we're trying to do. But what I want us to do is to look in and see what are some principles that we can see in Moses' life uh, to be able to help us uh, so that we're able to, to be better uh, disciples. Um, now, Friday night, we were, Claire and I, as I said, Claire, Lydia, and I were serving in the pumpkin patch, and we had this idea that on Friday, we would, we would grill out hot dogs uh, and just give it to anybody who came. And so we started, we got here early, and we started trying to work with the grill, and uh, so I had the fire going and trying to get up and, and, and get things going, and uh, that turned out to be a nightmare, but uh, different story. Uh, but as the grill was going, uh, I really, it was kind of a revelation for me because I was sitting there watching uh, the fire, the coals trying to get going and, and, and the flame. And I thought about how fire is one of the few things in this universe that is both inviting and terrifying at the exact same time. I don't know about you. I mean, even as a kid, if we go camping, I'm the guy who's the little kid who's going to work on the fire all day long. Um, but it, it's just something about a fire that just kind of draws you to it. It's just you want to go near it. But yet, at the same time, when my kids are little, I'm going to guard against them getting too close to the flame. So the flame is both inviting and terrifying at the exact same moment. Um, I say that to you because as I was standing there watching the fire and thinking about this, it dawned on me, as much as I had been reading about Moses over the last couple of months, it dawned on me that when God wanted to reveal himself to Moses, he came in a flame, both inviting and terrifying at the exact same moment. I mean, up until this point in time, he had not revealed his name. He had, he had not revealed himself. He was kind of, in some ways, kind of in the background, if you will. 
And it's only in Exodus 3 where God comes to the forefront of the story in the story of the burning bush. Probably a story that many of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard. And my guess would be most of us, even if we didn't grow up in church, we've seen pictures or we've heard about Moses in the burning bush. But we're going to revisit that story this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Does everybody aware that it's okay to bring your Bible to church? All right. Now you stop and go, how, when are you going to quit saying that? When you bring your Bibles to church. Uh, but open up to Exodus chapter 3. It's in the Old Testament. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. And it says this. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming, that he was coming to look, God called out to him at the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cry of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I now come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Now there is so much going on in this text that I could probably preach an entire series literally just on this text and looking at it from different angles. Um, one of the things that I would encourage you, when you read scripture, there's two questions I would encourage you to ask. Uh, one is, what can I learn about God? First and foremost, what is it that I can learn about God from this text? And then as a follow-up to that is, what can I learn about myself and my relationship with God? And in this text, we see a lot about God's nature. There's two theological terms that I want you to understand today that that can help us think about this text. The first theological term is the word transcendent. It means God is bigger. He's more than. He is above us. And we see in this text, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, the transcendence of God. But then also the second theological term is the word imminent or eminence. It means he is among us and he is with us. This is a distinctive Christian understanding that God is both transcendent and imminent. And what it's saying is that there's this all-powerful God who happens to also be among us. And so what we say is that when God is transcendent, that God is self-defining. Now, we live in a culture where we want to define God. 
We want to put God in a little box or we want to shape God and go, this is what, you know, we read scripture. You can hear people say it all the time. Well, I'm not really sure that's what God's saying to me. Uh, I, I don't think God would, would do that. Folks, what that does is it creates God as a concept, not a reality. That God is a concept that we are able to bend into an image that fits what we want and what we like. God defines God. We don't define God. And that is part of the transcendent nature of God. And what we see is that God introduces himself in this text. Look back at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, that's hard for us to really understand because if we try to define ourselves, we are going to say I am and then we're going to fill in a blank, right? I am, uh, I am husband, I am father, I am pastor. But, but he doesn't do that. God just says, I am. I am who I am. If you go back and look in the Hebrew scriptures, the way we translate that, we come up with uh, Yahweh, Jehovah. Or a lot of times you'll see in scripture, it'll say the word Lord, and it'll all be capitalized. What in essence this is saying is that God is saying in a really unique way, I have been who I have always been. I'm consistent. I'm not shaped by other people. I define myself. I will be who I will be, and I am what matters in the future. That's a, that's a powerful statement that God declares for us. And because that is true, God is able to keep promises in a way that we are not able to keep promises. Let's keep reading this story. Look at verse 16. Go and get Israel's elders together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me. The Lord said, I've been paying close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I've decided to take you away from the harassment in Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land full of milk and honey. They will accept what you say to them. Then you and Israel's elders will go to Egypt's king and say to him, The Lord, the Hebrews' God, has met with us. So now let us go on a three-day journey into the desert so that we can now offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. However, I know that Egypt's king won't let you go unless he's forced to do it. So I'll use my strength and hit Egypt with dramatic displays of my power. After that, he'll let you go. I'll make it so that when you leave Egypt, the Egyptians will be kind to you and you won't go away empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor, along with the immigrant in her household, for their silver and their gold jewelry as well as their clothing. Then you will put it on your sons and daughters and you will rob the Egyptians. Now, we read this part of the story and we miss out what's really happening when God is saying to Moses... Here is what's going to happen. You're going to go to the elders of Israel. You're going to tell them that this is what's going to happen, and they're going to believe you. But then you're going to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not going to believe you, and I'm going to have to, to show displays of power so that I'm able to, to destroy, and you're able to plunder the people of Egypt. What we begin to see in here is that there's this battle that's fixing to happen between two I ams. I am Pharaoh. I'm the most powerful man on earth. I have armies at my disposal. I have more technology than anybody has ever seen. And I am. I am who I am. And I will destroy Egypt. That's hard for us to, to see that God is able to say this, not because he has this 
a vague idea of future that maybe hopefully it's all going to work out okay. God is there. God is outside of time and space. God is in the future already there. God is transcendent. And because of that, he is able to to make promises and know and be able to, to, to fulfill on those promises. We can't, it's hard for us to understand because we can't promise like God can promise. Let me tell you something. I, as a pastor, I have learned, there's, I will not promise my wife what time I'm coming home. Because I can have a meeting at 7 o'clock. I know it'll be done about 8, uh, be home by 8.30. But I'm not guaranteed that when I walk out the door and I'm going to the parking lot that somebody that's in that meeting is not having a crisis and they're not going to stop and want to talk. And I can't say to them, well, I promised my wife I'd be home at 8.30, so your crisis is going to have to wait till tomorrow. Uh, And so I know that I'm not able to fulfill that. But God is already there. God knows. And so he is able to fulfill and we're able to be confident in his promises because he is transcendent. Amen? Amen. Now, we can't forget also, though, that this transcendent God in the Scripture is also imminent. This all-powerful God is among us. Look at what it says in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey. The Psalms say that God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. This powerful, transcendent God that is the creator of the universe is also among us. It's what we celebrate in Advent, is it not? Emmanuel, that God is with us. So we have both the transcendent nature of God and the imminent nature of God. And unfortunately, we have to stop and recognize that so too often we, we just emphasize the transcendent nature of God. And there's many religions that are based on that. Or we just emphasize the eminence of God. And either way, it becomes problematic. If all we do is just talk about God's power and God's transcendent nature, then we can... We can operate as though God doesn't really see us or hear us. and He doesn't really make any difference in our lives. However, if all we do is talk about God being among us and imminent, then we can live our lives with no respect for God, no reverence for God, no awareness of the, the struggle that sin really brings into our life. And we can live our lives as though God doesn't see us or hear us or be among us. So for the Christian, it's no, God is transcendent and imminent. God is all-powerful and God is among us. And that's a unique way of looking at life. Look at verse 11. Moses says this. I love Moses' response all the way through the scripture as he's talking to God when he's doing this passage. Because what's his response? But. How many times do we hear God? We say, but. That's how Moses responds. But, Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh 
and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. Moses asked an extremely important question. It's really the question that the choir sang about, which is, who is man? Who am I? What's my identity? We live in a culture where we create our identities. It's the reason that we can walk in this door with our lives crumbling beneath us. And we say, how are you doing? I'm fine. We create identities. We create these false identities that define us. Let's think about some of those. I'm in control. It's killing us. Because folks, you're not in control. And life continues to tell you that you're not in control. But the ironic thing is, the more life tells us that we're not in control, the harder we try to control. And do you know what it creates? It creates a lifestyle of anxiety and anger. Think about it. If you're walking around completely anxious or angry, it's because we're creating an identity that somehow we think we're in control. A second one might be a, an identity of I am what I do. We, again, we, we emphasize our, our careers or our families, both important, but we create an identity that that's who we are. Well, what happens What happens if all of my identity is based around my career and I retire? Who am I? If everything is based around my children and my children grow up and leave the house, it's the day I'm looking forward to. Uh, When that happens, who? don't tell them they're not here. Uh, But what happens if that's my identity? You know, uh, I see it with caregivers who are constantly caring for someone, and that's who they are, what happens when that person either gets better or passes away? Or what we have. I am what I have. What creates is it creates depression. Or in the concept of possessions, it creates debt. So you live either in depression or you live in debt because you're trying to live or operate out of a of an identity of I am what I do. Uh, A third is I I deserve an easier life. We go through with this identity that somehow life is supposed to be easier than it actually is. I I take this back. When I grew up playing uh, sports, I played baseball. I was terrible at baseball, but I played it every year. Uh, And we were, we had a league. It was a pretty large league. And so you'd have about 16 to 18 teams in every age division. We had one all-star team every year. I never made all-stars until I was 12 years old. Uh, but I wanted to because there was one team. Before I went into ministry, I was the president of that youth organization. We still had 16 to 18 kids for every league. You know how many all-star teams we had? Nine. Nine out of 18 teams because we didn't want to tell parents that their kids weren't an all-star. And our parents didn't want to tell our kids, you know what, there's somebody a little better than you. Uh, we, we operate in this culture where life's supposed to, and what it creates is an emotion of bitterness. The Bible's never guaranteed you a life of ease. 
You're not going to find in the text where it says, give your heart to Jesus and all your dreams are going to come true. It says, give your heart to Jesus and Jesus will be enough regardless of what the world throws at you. And then the fourth is I can get a lot done in less time. That all of our identity is built around production. How much I can do and how much I can accomplish. And that's going to give me value. But you know what it creates? It creates a lifestyle where we are going 90 miles an hour. And everything is way too thin, including our relationship with God. There's no depth. And we have no time to rest in God. These are identities that we create. And what I'm trying to make an argument for you today is that our base of, of, of self is not based on us. It's based on God. That's how we come to know our identity. We can find our confidence and our worth in knowing that God is here with us. That God is a transcendent God and that God has the ability to know what the future is and he can guide me, he can protect me, he can provide for me. All based on God. Now there was uh, several commentaries that I read about the passage in the burning bush. And one was a guy, his name's Tim Chester. Uh, he wrote a commentary about this story. And uh, he's from the United Kingdom. And so his illustration was, imagine if we went to the, to the castle. We knocked on the door. If you could get to the door. We knocked on the door. And they came to the door and we said, we would like to see the queen. Uh, we want to see the queen. And we would like to see all of the secret rooms of the palace that nobody knows about. So now how do you think that's going to go over? What's going to happen? We're going to be in jail, right? In today's climate, if you got to the door, you're, you're certainly in trouble. But, but, but you're certainly not going to be able to see the queen. And you're not going to be able to see the palace, right? Everybody agree with that? Well, his argument was the same was true 20 years ago. For a young girl by the name of Kate Middleton, if she had gone to the door 20 years ago, knocked on the door and said, I'd like to see the queen, I'd like to see all the secret rooms in the palace, what would they have done to Kate? She'd have gone to jail, right? Now, if she goes knocks on the door and says, I'd like to see the queen, well, who are you? Well, I'm the princess, and I'm married to the prince. I'm with him. And she gets access to the queen and all the secret rooms. And his point is just to simply say, that's our mantra. I'm with him. And I have full access to God because I'm with him. And then the scripture says, what can separate us from that? Can, can struggles, can suffering, can, can famine, can demons can the enemy separate us nothing nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus amen that's a promise from God and how does that help and establish us because I don't have to be in control as much as I tell you that I'm a control freak and I am but I understand that at the end of the day I'm not in control and I don't have to be in control because my God is bigger than me and my God is ahead of me, and my God knows me. And so I don't have to be in control. I just have to breathe and allow God to be in control. God doesn't need us to be superheroes. 
God doesn't need us to be superhuman. Just stop and breathe and rest in God's grace and God's holiness. Because here's the truth. All those things that I define myself as, I am father, I am pastor, I'm husband, I'm son, can all be taken away from me in an instant. I know life's not going to be easy. And I know that life is not easy for many of you. But Jesus is the I am. And you may think, what does this have to do with Moses? Think back to Moses' story. How how do we know this? How does God reveal to us about this transcendent nature and this imminent nature of God? Go back to the story. Moses is just tending the flock. Moses is just going about his everyday activities. And then he sees something a little unusual. But even in that, Moses has to make a choice. What's he going to do? Listen to the story. Back in Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Moses made a choice to move where God was working. Too many times in the church, and I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying in my experience in the church, too many times in the church, I hear people come and say, I'm disillusioned. I'm not being fed. You can use it whatever phrase you want to do. And I stop and go, but I don't see you in worship. I, I don't see you serving. I don't see you giving. I don't, I don't know, but my question would be is how are you praying? How are you reading Scripture and studying Scripture? So many times the world is creating all of this noise. And one of the things that we see with Moses is we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to put ourselves in a position to listen to God. How are you doing at listening to God? How are you doing at letting all of the distractions of the world not stop you from hearing God's voice from the bush? So today I want to invite you to do something we talked last the last series about how this is a response, right? This is not just me talking to you. And so what I'm going to ask to do is I'm going to ask Jackie to come up and play. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you struggle with hearing God, maybe you're going through something and you just need to, you need to listen to God. I'm going to invite you to come up and kneel at the altar. Pray for God's strength. Pray for God's comfort. Pray for God's healing. Pray for God's power in your life. Whatever, just come and listen to God. And then as you're praying, we're going to do something we haven't ever done before, which is I'm going to pray over you uh, to remind you 
of the promises of God. So as Jackie plays, I just open the altar up and feel free to come forward and just spend a few moments listening for God's voice in the bush. Almighty God, we cry out to you. Your word gives us so many promises. And Lord, I know that as we are going through difficult circumstances, I pray, Lord, that you can help us to not create a false identity, but to truly get our identity from you as your children with full access to you and your power. I pray, God, that you can help us to not be timid in our faith, but to be strong and powerful. I pray, God, for those who are going through dark times right now, that they can claim the promise that you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. I pray, God, that for those who are in a battle, whether that is illness or from the enemy, I pray that we can remember your promise that nothing, no weapon forms against us shall prosper. May we have faith in you. I pray, God, that for those of us that we, that, that we need strength, I pray that you can help us to remember your promise that you will give strength to the weary. That as we continue to persevere, that we will not grow faint. I pray, God, for those of us who are dealing with sin, that your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so I pray, Lord, that we can remember the promise of forgiveness. And that we can walk out of this place changed because we have full access to you. Because we're with him. We're with Jesus. God, help us. Help us in the midst of all the noise that this life throws at us to listen to you. To listen to your promises. And to know they are true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.